Chapter Thirteen of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter Thirteen. While these conversations were passing at Lisbon, Glenmurray and Adeline were pursuing their journey to France, and insensibly did the charm of being together obliterate from the minds of each the rencontre which had so much disturbed them. But Adeline began to be uneasy on a subject of much greater importance. She every day expected an answer from her mother, but no answer arrived, and they had been stationary at Perpignan some days, to which place they had desired their letters to be addressed, post restante, and still none were forwarded thither from Lisbon. The idea that her mother had utterly renounced her now took possession of her imagination, and love had no charm to offer her capable of affording her consolation. The care which she had taken of her infancy, the affectionate attentions that had preserved her life, and the uninterrupted kindness which she had shown towards her till her attachment to Sir Patrick took place, and all these pressed powerfully and painfully on her memory, till her elopement seemed wholly unjustifiable in her eyes, and she reprobated her conduct in terms of the most bitter self-reproach. At these moments even Glenmurray seemed to become the object of her aversion. Her mother had forbidden her to think of him, yet to make her flight more agonizing to her injured parent she had eloped with him but as soon as ever she had beheld him he regained his wonted influence over her heart and her self-reproaches became less poignant she became sensible that sir patrick's guilt and her mother's imprudent marriage were the causes of her own fault and not glenmurray and could she but receive a letter of pardon from england she felt that her conscience would again be at peace but soon an idea of a still more harassing nature succeeded and overwhelmed her. Perhaps her desertion had injured her mother's health. Perhaps she was too ill to write. Perhaps she was dead. And when this horrible supposition took possession of her mind, she used to avoid even the presence of her lover. And as her spirits commonly sunk towards evening, when the still renewed expectations of the day had been deceived, she used to hasten to a neighboring church, when the bell called to vespers, and prostrate on the steps of the altar lift up her soul to heaven in the silent breathings of penitence and prayer having thus relieved her heart she returned to glenmurray pensive but resigned one evening after she had unburthened her feelings in this manner glenmurray prevailed on her to walk with him to a public promenade and being tired they sat down on a bench in a shady part of the mall they had not sat long before a gentleman and two ladies seated themselves beside them. Glenmurray instantly rose up to depart, but the gentleman also rose and exclaimed, "'Tis he, indeed! Glenmurray, have you forgotten your old friend, Willie Douglas?' Glenmurray, pleased to see a friend whom he had once so highly valued, returned the salutation with marked cordiality, while the ladies with great kindness accosted Adeline, and begged she would allow them the honor of her acquaintance." taught by the rencounter at lisbon adeline for a moment felt embarrassed but there was something so truly benevolent in the countenance of both ladies and she was so struck by the extreme beauty of the younger one that she had not resolution to avoid or even to receive their advances coldly and while the gentlemen were commenting on each other's looks and in an instant going over the occurrences of the past years the ladies pleased with each other had entered into conversation but I expected to see you and your lady. 
said Major Douglas, for Maynard was writing to me from Lisbon, when he laid by his pen and took the walk in which he met you. And on his return he filled up the rest of his letter with the praises of Mrs. Glenmurray, and expressions of envy at your happiness. Glenmurray and Adeline both blushed deeply. So, said Adeline to herself, here will be another letter to write when we get home. For, though ingenuousness was one of her most striking qualities, she had not resolution enough to tell her new acquaintance that she was not married. Besides, she flattered herself, that could she once interest these charming women in her favor, they would not refuse her their society, even when they knew her real situation, for she thought them too amiable to be prejudiced, as she called it, and was not yet aware how much their perfection of the female character depends on respect even to what may be called the prejudices of others. The day began to close in, but Major Douglas, though Glenmurray was too uneasy to answer him except by monosyllables, would not hear of going home, and continued to talk with cheerfulness and interest of the scenes of his and Glenmurray's early youth. He, too, was ignorant of his friend's notoriety as an author. He had lived chiefly at his estates in the Highlands, nor would he have left them but because he was advised to travel for his health, and the lovely creature whom he had married as well as his only sister was anxious on his account to put the advice in execution. He, therefore, made no allusions to Glenmurray's opinions that could give him an opportunity of explaining his real situation, and he saw with confusion that every moment increased the intimacy of Adeline and the wife and sister of his friend. At length his feelings operated so powerfully on his weak frame that a sudden faintness seized him, and supported by Adeline and the Major, and followed by his two kind companions, he returned to the inn, there to get rid of the Douglases and avoid the inquiries of Adeline, who suspected the cause of his illness. He immediately retired to bed. His friends also returned home, lamenting the apparently declining health of Glenmurray, and expatiated with delight on the winning graces of his supposed wife, for these ladies were of a different class of woman to the sisters of Maynard. Mrs. Douglas was so confessedly a beauty, and so rich in acknowledged attractions, that she could afford to do justice to the attractions of another, and Miss Douglas was so decidedly devoid of all pretensions to the lovely in person, that the idea of competition with the beautiful never entered her mind, and she was always eager to admire that she knew that she was incapable of rivaling. Unexposed, therefore, to feel those petty jealousies, those paltry competitions which injure the character of woman in general, Emma Douglas's mind was the seat of benevolence and candor, and was her beautiful sisters from a different cause, and they were both warmer even than the major in praise of Adeline. But a second letter from Mr. Maynard awaited Douglas at the inn, which put a fatal stop to their self-congratulations at having met Glenmurray and his companion. Mr. Maynard, full of Glenmurray's letter, and still more deeply impressed than ever with the image of Adeline, could not forbear writing to the Major on the subject, giving as a reason that he wished to let him know the true state of affairs, in order that he might avoid Glenmurray. The letter came too late. And I have seen him, have welcomed him as a friend, and he has had the impudence to introduce his harlot to my wife and sister? So spoke the Major in the language of passion, and passion is never accurate. Glenmurray had not introduced Adeline, and this was gently hinted by the kind and candid Emma Douglas, while the younger and more inexperienced wife 
sat silent with consternation at having pressed with the utmost kindness the hand of a kept mistress vain were the representations of his sister to soothe the wounded pride of major douglas without considering the difficulty of such a proceeding he insisted upon it that glenmurray should have led adeline away instantly as unworthy to breathe the same air with his wife and sister you find by that letter brother said miss douglas that this unhappy adeline is still an object of respect in his eyes and he could not wound her feelings so publicly especially as she seems to be more ill-judging than vicious she spoke in vain the major was a soldier and so delicate in his ideas of the honor of woman that he thought his wife and sister polluted from having though unconsciously associated with adeline being violently irritated therefore at the supposed insult offered him by glenmurray he left the room and having dispatched a challenge to him told the ladies he had letters to write to england till bedtime arrived then after having settled his affairs in case he should fall in the conflict he sat brooding alone over the insolence of his former friend there was a consciousness to which aggravated his resentment calumny had been busy with his reputation and though he deserved it not had once branded him with the name of coward besides his elder sister had been seduced by a man of very high rank and was then living with him as his mistress made still more susceptible therefore of affront by this distressing consciousness he suspected that glenmurray from being acquainted with these circumstances had presumed on them and dared to take a liberty with him situated as he was which in former times he would not have ventured to offer as adeline and glenmurray were both retired for the night when the major's note arrived it was not delivered till morning nor then luckily till adeline supposing glenmurray was asleep was gone to take her usual walk to the post-office glenmurray little aware of its contents opened it and read as follows sir for your conduct in introducing your mistress to my wife and sister i demand immediate satisfaction as you may possibly not have recovered your indisposition of last night and i wish to take no unfair advantage i do not desire you to meet me till evening but at six o'clock a mile out of the north side of the town i shall expect you i can lend you pistols if you have none there is only one step to be taken said glenmurray mentally starting up and dressing himself and in a few moments he was at major douglas's lodgings the major had just finished dressing when glenmurray was announced he started and turned pale at seeing him then dismissing his servant and taking up his hat and his pistols he desired glenmurray to walk out with him with all my heart replied glenmurray but recollecting himself no no he said i come hither now merely to talk to you and if after what has passed the ladies should see us go out together they would be but too sure of what was going to happen and might follow us well then sir cried the major we had better separate till evening i shall not leave you major douglas replied glenmurray solemnly whatever harsh things you may say or do till i have made you listen to me how can i listen to you when nothing you say can be a justification of your conduct i do not mean to offer any i am only come to tell you my story with that of my companion and my resolutions in consequence of my situation and i conjure you by the recollections of our early days of our past pleasures and fatigues those days when fatigue itself was a pleasure and i was not the weak emaciated being 
that I am now unable to bear exertion, and overcome even to female weakness by agitation of mind such as I experienced last night. For God's sake, sit down, cried the Major, glancing his eye over the faded form of Glenmurray. Glenmurray sat down. I say, I conjure you by these recollections, he continued, to hear me with candor and patience. Weakness will render me brief. Here he paused to wipe the damps from his forehead, and Douglas, in a voice of emotion, desired him to say whatever he chose, but to say it directly. I will, replied Glenmurray, for indeed there is one at home who will be alarmed at my absence. The major frowned, and biting his lip, said, Proceed, Mr. Glenmurray, in his usual tone. Glenmurray obeyed. He related his commencing author, the nature of his works, his acquaintances with Adeline, its consequences, her mother's marriage, Sir Patrick's villainy, Adeline's elopement, her refusal to marry him, and the grounds on which it was founded. And now, cried Glenmurray, when his narration was ended, hear my firm resolve, let the consequences to my reputation be what they may, let your insults be what they may. I will not accept your challenge. I will not expose Adeline to the risk of being left without a protector in a foreign land, and probably without one in her own. I fear that in the natural course of things I shall not continue with her long. But while I can watch over her and contribute to her happiness, no dread of shame, no fear of what others may think of me, no selfish considerations, whatever, shall induce me to hazard a life which belongs to her, and on which at present her happiness depends. I think, Douglas, you are incapable of treating me with indignity, but even to that I will patiently submit, rather than expose my life, while, consoled by my motive, I will triumphantly explain, see, Adeline, what I can endure for thy sake. Here he paused, and the major, interested and affected, had involuntarily put out his hand to him, but drawing it back, he said, Then I may be sure that you meant no affront to me by suffering my wife and sister to converse with Miss Mowbray? Glenmurray, having put an end to these suspicions entirely, by a candid avowal of his feelings, and of his wish to have escaped directly, if possible, the major shook him affectionately by the hand, and told him, that though he firmly believed too much learning had made him mad, yet that he was as much his friend as ever. But what vexes me is, said he, that you should have turned the head of that sweet girl. The opinion of the world is everything to a woman. Ay, it is indeed, replied Glenmurray. In spite of ridicule, I would marry Adeline directly, as I said before, to guarantee her against reproach. I wish you would try to persuade her to be mine legally. That I will, eagerly replied the Major. I am sure I shall prevail with her. I am sure I shall soon convince her that the opinions she holds are nothing but nonsense. You will find, replied Glenmurray, blushing, that her arguments are unanswerable, notwithstanding. What, though taken from the cursed books you mentioned? You forget that I wrote these books. So I did, and I wish she would forget it also and then they would appear to her, as they must do no doubt to all people of common sense, and that is abominable stuff. Glenmurray bit his lips, but the author did not long absorb the lover, and he urged the major to return with him to his lodgings. Ay, that I will, cried he, and what is more, my sister Emma, who writes admirably, shall write her a letter to convince her she had better be married directly. She had better converse with her, said Glenmurray. 
the major looked grave and observed that they would do well to go and consult the woman on the subject and tell them the whole story so saying he opened the door of a closet leading to their apartment but there to their great surprise they found mrs douglas and emma and as well informed of everything as themselves for expecting that a duel might be the consequence of the major's impetuosity and hearing mr glenmurray announced they resolved to listen to the conversation and if it took the turn which they expected to rush in and endeavor to mollify the disputants so ladies this is very pretty indeed eavesdroppers i protest cried major douglas but he said no more for his wife affected by the recital which she had heard and delighted to find that there would be no duel threw her arms around his neck and burst into tears emma almost equally affected gave her hand to glenmurray and told him nothing on her part should be omitted to prevail on adeline to sacrifice her opinions to her welfare i said so cried the major you will write to her no i will see her and argue with her and so will i cried the wife that you shall not bluntly replied the major why not i think it is my duty to do all i can to save a fellow-creature from ruin and words spoken from the heart are always more powerful than words written but what will the world say if i permit you to converse with a kept mistress the world here to us as we associate with none and are known to none is mr glenmurray and miss mowbray and of their good word we are sure ay cried emma and sure of succeeding with this interesting adeline too for if she likes us as i think she does she adores you replied glenmurray so much the better then we shall tell her that we cannot associate with her much as we admire her unless she consents to become a wife surely she will hear reason no doubt cried mrs douglas and then we will go to church with her and you emma shall be bridesmaid i see no necessity for that observed the major gravely but i do replied emma she will repeat her vows with more heartfelt reverence when two respectable women deeply impressed themselves with their importance shall be there to witness them but there is no protestant church here exclaimed glenmurray however we can go back to lisbon and you are already resolved to return thither this point being settled it was agreed that glenmurray should prepare adeline for their visit and with a lightened heart he went to execute his commission but when he saw adeline he forgot his commission and everything but her distress for he found her with an open letter in her hand and an unopened one on the floor in a state of mind almost bordering on frenzy End of chapter thirteen recording by pam moscato